0: This is the voice of the Trumpet magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour, the week in review. Evidence of Joe Biden accepting millions in Ukrainian bribes. A second indictment of Donald Trump. Horrific child pornography
1: revealed. On Instagram, war on free speech. The dam
0: breaks. Germans wonder if they should make Germany great again. China is building a base 100 miles from Florida. And why you should read The United States and Britain in Prophecy by Herbert W. Armstrong. All this and more coming up next on Trumpet Hour.
2: Welcome to Trumpet Hour this Friday, June 9th, 2023. We also play on June 10th on Saturday mornings. You can hear us as well on the replay, as well as at your convenience, of course, on the trumpet.com slash radio. I'm with our Philadelphia trumpet writers here in the studio and over our connection with our office in England here to bring you the weekend review version of Trumpet Hour. The digest of the most important news of the week. In the studio, I have Jeremiah Jacques. Hello there. And Andrew Miller. Hello. And in our studio in England, we have Richard Palmer. Good afternoon. And Mihailo Zekic. Good to be here. And the purpose of Trumpet Hour, I should say, and the Philadelphia Trumpet and the Trumpet.com is to warn. That is why we uh, choose the bits of news that we choose to bring you to summarize on the Week in Review program. And I have to say, the news this week, even the main headlines in the corporate news this week, are warnings. Uh, they're warnings that your society, that your world is on fire. Uh, Andrew Miller, you watch Anglo-America, and there is some dire news coming out of America this week.
3: Yeah, we have really kind of a medley of big stories in Anglo-America this week, all revolving around a theme of dark truths exposed. Uh, Big scandals that have uh, kind of miraculously come to light, Uh, even though um, the deep state, Washington, D.C., the intelligence agencies, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, uh, and the media are all colluding to keep these things uh, under wraps, keep you from finding out about them. Uh, I think the first story uh, will be one of the ones that you can summarize quickly, but also one of the ones really on point about just this whole censorship thing is that uh, Fox News has uh, formally accused Tucker Carlson of breach of contract for uh, launching his uh, his own show on Twitter. Um, if you remember Tucker Carlson, he was the biggest uh, on-air television host on Fox News, one of the few people who'd actually talk about election fraud and uh, some of the bigger scandals on the southern border crisis, and um, Americans just really love to listen to whatever he had to say. Uh, Fox News fired him for that. He actually just launched a new <laughs> a new program on Twitter, which is... Getting like 10 times as many viewers already as any Fox News show. Uh, and so they're accusing him of breach of contract basically to, to shut him up, which is interesting because usually a copyright or, um, or a contract like that is supposed to preserve the rights of, <laughs> uh, the author or the organization that's, uh, that's hired the on air talent to do those stories. Um, but Fox News isn't using it like that. They're actually using their contract not to make sure that they get Tucker Carlson's audience, but to make sure that no one gets, um, uh, Tucker Carlson's audience. It, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, it almost kind of reminds me in some way as, a uh, uh, our church's court case for mystery of the ages where, um, Herbert W. Armstrong's landmark book <laughs> where, uh, the organization that owned that before wasn't using the copyright to make sure they could publish it, but to make sure no one got to hear it. And just a really blatant attack on free speech, which is a big deal because our next story is something that Tucker Carlson probably uh, would have been all over, and he may yet on his Twitter show, if they let him continue, is they uncovered a vast, uh, basically pedophile ring on Instagram, uh, where Instagram, they... um, their algorithms. There were there were three academics from some universities out east uh, that looked into it, and this they has said their um, their algorithms are deliberately prom- uh, written to promote certain hashtags that promote uh, child sex, uh, and then you go to these accounts, and they've got like hor- horrific pictures that they they do flag with a warning but you can click on it and get past the warning so someone designed that feature uh to figure it's like well we can flag it but we're not taking it down uh which is a huge story for something that i mean there's a lot of people on instagram and sometimes you'll even find uh or someone will find someone like that on twitter just because it's such a big place and you can't take everything down at once but they they are doing a pretty good job at taking down. stories about election fraud and stories about COVID vaccines. So it's their censorship is kind of their thing. Uh, and yet through either carelessness or more likely, um, collusion or, um, complicity, uh, they're making sure these store, these, uh, these stories stay up there. And so they, uh, they can definitely censor Tucker Carlson, uh, if they, they want, but there's, there's definitely not the, the same zeal to censor, uh, these uh these pedophile rings that have kind of like taken deeper root than most people want to think about in the United States
2: it is it is unthinkable this is i mean this is this is the state of your country america this is this is not just the news of the day okay this is this is happening and and at this point at least we're still able to find out about it which i think uh, i've I've said it's a miracle that some of these things do come to light and some of these dark dark truths uh are exposed to sunlight
3: yeah and probably the third thing and kind of our our medley of stories here is the uh is the truth that they're trying to suppress about um uh, Donald Trump's handling of classified documents. There's been quite a bit big of back and forth because you remember last summer they raided Mar-a-Lago looking for classified documents, didn't find much. Then it came out that Joe Biden had a bunch of classified documents like near Pennsylvania University and they tried to cover that story. And so like just the, the hypocrisy of how they treated those two stories is uh, uh, shocking uh, but now that this week we we actually found out that um, Biden accepted, Joe Biden, not Hunter, but Joe Biden accepted a $5 million bribe uh, from some Ukrainian official involved with uh, Burisma Holdings, where Hunter worked. The, uh, the deep state's trying to distract from that, so they've formally indicted uh, Donald Trump for the classified documents thing that unfurled uh, last summer, and we'll probably be talking quite a bit more about that next week. The indictment still sealed, uh, so uh, I haven't been able to see the official charges yet. So I believe Donald Trump on Tuesday, or, or at least sometime next week, uh, is going to go to court and plead not guilty. Uh, for this indictment, and if the uh, if the hush money indictments, any indication of how this is going to play out, uh, I expect they'll probably unseal the indictment the day after he pleads not guilty. Uh, so if we can see that Wednesday next week, uh, we'll have <laughs> we'll have more to talk about. But it's um, you've definitely seen a pattern with these indictments is that they <laughs> uh, they keep making them and they're. Keep falling apart because there's absolutely no legal rationale uh, to them. So even though I haven't seen the text of this indictment yet, I'm definitely willing to go out on a limb uh, and say that um, if there was anything illegal about this uh, classified document t- handling, they would have indicted him last summer when it happened. Uh, The fact that they've waited a year uh, and only indicted him after it found out that Joe Biden was accepting five million dollar bribes from Ukrainian nationals uh, shows that this is really (laughs) this is really kind of one of those stories that's meant to distract people away from the Fox News lawsuit against Tucker Carlson, uh, the pedophile ring and uh, the Joe Biden bribery scandal. And so <laughs> I definitely wanted to bring those three scandals to people's uh, attention. And then we will dig into the, um, I guess, what happens with the indictment a little bit more next week. But it, all three stories, uh, or like four stories, I guess, you count the Biden bribery scandal, um, are really, like I said, they're part of this theme of like this dark truths exposed um, uh, in America, uh, which is why for, I think we've done this every week for several weeks now. Uh, We'll put uh, advertised America under attack in the show notes that really shows the spiritual dimension between prophecies in Daniel 8 about the truth being cast down, prophecies in Revelation 12 about the devil being cast down, uh, prophecies in 2 Kings 14 about like a bitter affliction on America to show that there is definitely um, an organized uh, campaign uh, by some people who— have some pretty, uh, many of them have some pretty perverse uh, sexual appetites uh, to um, turn a blind eye to things like this Instagram pedophile ring uh, while they do everything they can to make sure Donald Trump is an indictment and Tucker Carlson is kept off the air so the American people can actually find out what's going on. So there is
2: a war over your mind. I think that's what this proves. I mean, a war over what you find out, what you can confirm, what you think, uh, what you will accept in your society, what you will allow to take hold of the minds of your children. I mean, is there such a thing as right and wrong or not? Is there such a thing as justice? Uh, Is there such a thing as truth and deceit or not? Well, then, is there or is there not a spirit world and is there or is there not a spirit war going on? Because if there's a spirit world, if there's such a thing as right and wrong, then there's definitely a war going on. And it's definitely going badly, I would put to you. So do request America Under Attack. I was just rereading that last last night. It is a remarkable book. It's it's a one-of-a-kind uh, book that acknowledges a spiritual war and gives just surprising specifics about uh, about that war. Jeremiah Jacques, you've got news on actual kinetic warfare, both open and imminent, raging and threatening to rage in the region of Asia.
0: Yes, there were uh, several notable developments in Asia this week. One big one from yesterday is uh, just another major show of Chinese force against Taiwan. Uh, This time, it was 37 Chinese aircraft, fighter jets and nuclear capable bombers that entered Taiwan's air defense zone. So this is happening, you know, more and more often now. And each time China does it, the much smaller Taiwanese air force has to scramble its jets and intercept the Chinese aircraft. And that places just a great deal of strain on the Taiwanese, not to mention this feeling of kind of like uh, desensitization that seems to be happening. It seems like the, the Chinese are making these incursions over and over again in hopes that the Taiwanese will eventually just accept it as the new normal, and maybe that'll make it easier for China to carry out an actual attack when it thinks the time is right. Another big story, very much related to that first one, but this time it was both China and Russia. On Tuesday, they conducted joint air force patrols over both the East China Sea and the Sea of Japan. And uh, they spent quite a bit of time flying inside South Korea's Air defense identification zone. And this prompted South Korea to scramble fighter jets. So it was, you know, more of these same kinds of serious provocations, this time with Russia and China operating in tandem. And then another smaller story that I'll just briefly mention is that in Southeast Asia, the U.S. is losing ground to China. That's the conclusion of a new report by the Lowy Institute and it shows that over the last 5 years China has adopted, you know, just a, a much more assertive approach in Southeast Asia both militarily and diplomatically. Even the Taiwan story that I just mentioned there is is evidence of that uh, assertive and belligerent approach and you might think that all of this would negatively affect China's standing in the region, but the Lowy Institute says the opposite is happening. China's influence in most nations in this region is soaring, and America's is declining. So a major shift underway there that has really uh, implications for global trade. So you mentioned uh, China. Well, we'll talk
2: more about how China, how much China is pushing, not just into Taiwan, just across that 110-mile Taiwan Strait, and not just down into South Korea or across Southeast Asia. In the South China Sea, as we've talked about before, but it is also pushing into the Gulf of Mexico, and we'll talk about that on our in our panel discussion. Uh, but you also mentioned uh, China and Russia, that important alliance that we need to keep an eye on, such a close eye on. uh, Your main story regards Russia and Ukraine.
0: Yes, it does. The biggest story of the week for my region is that Ukraine's Kahovka Dam collapsed early on Tuesday morning, and the effects of this collapse would be impossible to overstate. Uh, This dam went across the Dnipro River, and it was a giant. The dam was holding in about 4.5 cubic miles of water. So if you get in your car and you drove four and a half miles in one direction, that would be how tall, how wide, and how long this cube of water would be. Um, So that reservoir was beyond massive. It was almost exactly the same size as the Great Salt Lake in Utah. And with the dam's sudden collapse... All of that water has been unleashed and is now gushing onto southern Ukraine, erasing entire villages in some cases, Inundating many, many miles of land, um, it destroyed a critical hydropower plant. It also put Europe's largest nuclear reactor apparently in potential danger of melting down. Thousands have been evacuated. Dozens have been hospitalized with hypothermia after being, you know, rescued from floodwaters. So far, only nine are confirmed dead, but that number is expected to dramatically rise as the waters dissipate. It is. Uh, Just really surreal to see the images of this, to see these people clinging to their rooftops and just entire houses being washed downriver. And then there's major long-term economic impacts here that we could really be feeling all the way over here in Oklahoma soon. And that's because almost 1 million acres of southern Ukraine's most important farmland will no longer be getting irrigation water. Because the water that was used for that irrigation came from, you guessed it, the Kahovka Reservoir. And that reservoir's levels have already fallen below the level of the main canals that were used for irrigating that swath of land. So the canals are dry. And this means the single largest swath of agricultural land in history is suddenly dependent on rainfall at a time of year when rainfall is not adequate. And, you know, Ukraine, which is one of the world's main breadbaskets, could very soon be a net food importer. So this has uh, massive implications for global food production, and it's just a major development. And those
2: images are just stunning to see that enormous, it's almost looking at at the ocean, <laughs> and, then you, and then you look down and you say, oh, there's towns under there, and, and the water just flowing Uh, over these or or through these buildings and and through entire towns, as you said, who is to blame for this uh this dam breaking
0: well if you listen to the tucker carlson video that andrew just mentioned there it is 100 percent certain that ukraine blew up this dam and in fact if you think it's anything less than 100 percent, then you're the same type of person who says a trans woman is a woman that's what tucker says okay so he really went all in on this it was actually embarrassing to see that kind of uh arrogance in the absence of evidence, and actually despite evidence. Uh, but the Russians absolutely love Tucker's rant. They played this clip all over their propaganda channels in Russia, because of course, this fits perfectly in line with the Russian narrative. Uh, but the truth is, this story is something that we need to maintain some humility about at this juncture, instead of assigning blame with just a great deal of certainty. And, and as we spit out you know, each angry syllable, um, I think we should recognize None of us is omniscient, the fog of war hangs thick, and, and we should recognize that Russia actually gained a great deal from this dam collapse. One important thing to keep in mind here is that the Ukrainians are now starting their long-awaited uh, counter-offensive, trying to push the Russians out of parts of eastern Ukraine. And this dam being destroyed pours some real cold water on one of the main components of Ukraine's counter-offensive. They've made a direct crossing at the dam impossible, obviously, but they've also made an
2: amphibious landing on either side of the dam on the river impossible because the reservoir above the river is now draining very, very quickly. And independent of that being a dangerous environment, it's going to leave behind a muddy bed, uh, which is going to be very difficult to get any vehicles across. And then south of the river, everything is flooded. And when the waters do recede a couple weeks from now, again, very, very muddy and difficult to move. So any sort of amphibious landing is going to be impossible.
0: That was the geopolitical strategist Peter Zion there. And the case he makes about how this dam collapse complicated Ukraine's counteroffensive is, I think, irrefutable. And then Zion goes on there to talk about how uh, just the huge amount of explosives that would have been required to intentionally destroy this massive concrete dam. And of course, this was an area that was under Russian control. So for Ukraine to have brought in that amount of ordnance, Without being detective, would have been, you know, a Herculean accomplishment. Now, on the other side of this, it is true that the destruction of the dam also hurts Russia to a degree and threatens some of their positions. It also threatens to dry up parts of the water supply to Crimea. Uh, but we know that in desperation, Russia often uses scorched earth tactics. You know, they destroy their own holdings just to complicate the the enemy's uh, goals. So, the dust is still very much settling. The waters, I should say, are still very much uh, literally settling. We can't know for sure who's to blame or if perhaps it was even an accident. You know, dams sometimes breach on their own. In this particular case, given the, the uh, construction of this huge dam, I don't think that's a likely explanation. And the preponderance of evidence shows that Russia gained a great deal from this and was uniquely situated to to carry it out. But I think it's uh, too early to eliminate anything with total certainty. So, what do you think? Uh, I mean, this is obviously enormous
2: news. But uh, as as I mentioned there at the beginning, this uh, program focuses on the news that's a warning, right? A warning to all of our listeners, even far far away from from that particular dam. So why did you select this as, as uh, something to dwell on?
0: Yeah, well, uh, th- this kind of event is just utterly catastrophic. It is a massive humanitarian and even an ecological disaster. People's homes and lives are being literally washed away. And I selected this because it gives us really a preview of what the whole world is is going to look like in the years ahead. There's a passage in the book of Luke in chapter 21 that says a global age will soon begin in our modern era that the scripture there calls the times of the Gentiles. In the February 2020 issue of The Trumpet, editor-in-chief Gerald Flurry wrote about this future era, and he wrote, these times of the Gentiles are yet to be fully realized. However, we are in the outer edges of this catastrophic storm. And then he goes on from there to explain that the term gentile is talking about peoples other than the israelites who descended from abraham isaac and jacob modern israelites include you know the jewish nation named israel but they also include the united states and britain and others and he writes once you understand who israel is then you can see how the gentiles the non-israelite peoples have started to take charge of the world already so it's a, it's very insightful there, because for decades, American and British leadership, overall, it was a stabilizing force for mankind. But now the U.S. and Britain are declining, and Gentile nations such as Russia are starting to just aggressively fill the void. Um, so this ongoing carnage of Russia's war on Ukraine is just terribly destructive, and, and it gives us an indication of what these times of the Gentiles will be like a great flood and
2: the climax of man's rule over man, the climax of man's rule over man at the trumpet.com by trumpet.com editor in chief, Gerald Flurry. Uh, Just a very good article to look at uh, in times like these and to take warning, uh, to take warning to yourself and to your family, to think critically about what you hear, even from Tucker Carlson, uh, even from trumpet hour, think critically because It's it's spreading. It's going to affect, as you said, in in many different ways, uh, all of us. So these are these are important issues. This isn't just, uh, you know, for news junkies or I've heard the term infotainment, you know, people who just like to keep up with the news. This this is a a warning that we all need to take to heart. Uh, Richard Palmer, you watch the Europe region. What have been the main uh, stories to take note of and take warning of there in Europe?
4: Yes, that's been a bit of a a busy week for European news events. Uh, Starting on Monday, I think it is, we're going to have Air Defender 23. It's the largest air exercise in NATO history. And it's going to be led by Germany. Quite a remarkable revival of uh, German militarism there. And maybe we'll end up talking in more detail about that this time next week. Uh, The latest economic data shows the whole Eurozone is in recession. Uh, largely led by bad economic news out of Germany. Uh, a lot of this comes from Germany's economy being impacted by the sanctions on Russia. So there it really is, uh, despite things like the uh, that dam being destroyed... There really is growing pressure on Europe to come to their own kind of independent arrangement with Russia, lift the sanctions, go back to business as usual. And you've got elections coming up in Austria uh, and the Czech Republic that could see people even vote for those kind of positions. And then a Syrian refugee stabbed four children and two adults in France. So this was another uh this this time it was a Christian refugee, at least that's what it looks like on the on the surface, but more violence coming to Europe through its acceptance of refugees from the Middle East. And actually, European leaders are kind of meeting at the moment to hammer out uh, some new migrant deal. It looks like Giorgio Maloney is working out an arrangement that will see Europe sending more migrants back to North Africa, giving uh, and forming much closer links with North African governments in exchange for them uh, keeping the migrant situation under control.
2: Imagine what it's like to be to be a, a German or a European and to see these things happening to see even the economy that uh, Germany is usually so strong about uh going into recession across uh the continent. Um certainly a a tough time to be a European to be a German and 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 you 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 have to wonder where are they going to turn what are they going to do?
4: Yeah, I think it's um you know, I was visiting Germany just this just this last week or so, and or a couple of weeks, and it's just interesting just to see how much you know is based on honesty. You know, just even traveling around the trains, there's no people checking for tickets or anything like this. You then have a bunch of migrants move into some of these areas that just completely take advantage of that, and this is happening in a lot of places. Uh, it's really pretty shocking, and it's leading to a sense that the way of their way of life is under threat. And I think it's interesting that for a lot of people, they're blaming American led sanctions on this war with Russia. They're blaming even American led morals. When you look at, um, uh, the kind of the woke movement that, and this kind of even human rights, we can't, can't stop migrants coming because of human rights laws. Uh, I mean, certainly some Europeans have, have adopted the woke movement and woke causes as their own, but, uh, you can really see how a lot of these trends could, lay, you know, be blamed at America's door, and the backlash against America, as as Europe kind of says, "Well, you've messed things up for us in a whole load of of different ways."
2: And part of that backlash is coming. I would I would characterize it perhaps as a backlash uh, is coming from German leaders, German political parties.
4: Yes. I mean, maybe not the ones that are in power at the moment. And this was one of the other headlines this week that Germany's coalition is now, it's, uh, by some measures, the least popular coalition in German history. Uh, and instead, you've got this alternative for Deutschland, this fringe right wing party uh, now that is soaring in the polls. I think that the number two political party is becoming very hard to exclude them from politics and this kind of make Germany great again and uh, even a a kind of rejection of an Atlanticist worldview uh, and more of like, well, Germany's got its own grand destiny independent of the United States is is something uh, very much in the fore and something that is now making its way more and more into the mainstream conversation.
2: And that includes the mainstream uh, Christian democratic union.
4: That's right. And that brings us to uh, the main story I wanted to talk about today. It's maybe a little bit over a week old. It took a bit of time to get kind of filter into the English language media where you know, faced with this shifting political landscape. The Christian Democratic Union and their sister party, the Christian Social Union, are really pushing a program that's, that's right out of the Alternative for Deutschland playbook where they want to make German patriotism great again. So, they've announced they want a new national, a ho- couple of new national holidays, actually. They want one on uh, May 23rd. This is the anniversary of Germany's basic law. They want another one in October that commemorates Germany reuniting. They want German flags much more visible. Uh, they want the German national anthem sung so much more. Uh, they want the German military to be more visible in everyday life and to be on parade. Uh, and, uh, just be something that you encounter, and just kind of this glory to the German military being something that's more a part of everyday life. And you know, it's interesting, just reading these headlines coming out of Germany. I think it was the same day I saw this news story. I was reading one uh, about the United States where you had some children's choir singing the national anthem in the US. Capitol and they were shut down in case they offend someone. Uh, a very, a very different trajectory. And I can understand somebody looking at looking at Germany and saying, well, OK, uh, in today's woke world of globalism and multiculturalism, well, good for them for cheering the flag and being proud of those that serve in the military and kind of getting back to, to a normal country. You know, I can sympathize with that view. I think, though, you have to take into account uh Germany's history. And I think one of the things that's most remarkable about this story is you look at who is the most vocal about saying maybe this is not a good idea um, and that Germany should not kind of be a quote unquote normal nation in regards to national pride, military pride, military use. And I would say it's probably German historians who are the most against this. There's like a whole generation of German historians who fought incredibly hard uh, actually to, to push this world you know, Fritz Fischer is is one of the kind of the leading members of this generation he's long dead now who had his car fire bombed his office fire bombed you know he had the German government trying to prevent him traveling I think they revoked his passport at one point so he couldn't come to the US to address a historians conf- a conference but there are a lot of German historians that have said we must not let ourselves um, become a normal nation in this regard because we have a unique history. Uh, and we're afraid what, of what is going to happen uh, if we start kind of celebrating our military and and our patriotism in the way that that many other countries do, and certainly the way that Germany has done in so many occasions.
2: So, with globalism and and every and wokeism uh, dominating so much of the world, you uh, as you said, you understand Germans wanting to make Germany great again, but there's there's much more than even just recent historians warning uh, German historians warning against what that could mean for the world
4: that's right i mean so much of the time when we're talking about europe uh on this show we get back to revelation 17 uh, because it is just so fundamental for understanding what is happening there and it describes an empire a beast power and it rises and it falls it talks about uh you you kind of have seven resurrections of this empire they happen sequentially and so, when you see Europe returning to its history and saying, "Well, we need to do these same things that we do we've done in history, Revelation seventeen gives us the context that we need to understand that. That's the truth that God revealed you know, th- through through his his end time Elijah that helps us see what's happening there. And so we have uh, when they're when they're doing this, well they're getting back to some of the same history that you had with with the Holy Roman Empire uh i obviously adolf hitler is the one that really comes to mind for most people but it's it's a history that's got even deeper roots than that and the bible says well when you see them getting back to this history it's not just going to be in harmless ways like waves like a few flags and and some parades we're seeing this empire rising up again that you've had that's gone on to to conquer all of these countries and cause all of this death uh And so, like I said, you you can see a lot of that just with an understanding of history. And I think that's why historians are the ones that that have been doing some of the warning. But you get a lot more specific warning with that prophetic understanding. So Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry has an article, The Holy Roman Empire Goes Public Big Time, uh, just more generally on this subject of European leaders going back to the... The kind of heritage items, embracing that history, kind of embracing patriotism. And then our book, The Holy Roman Empire in Prophecy is really your guide to understanding the history and the prophecy, putting that all together, getting the picture that you need to, to understand where Europe is going forwards from here.
2: The Holy Roman Empire goes public big time. A pretty unique article, especially for this particular topic, just really capturing uh, what you're talking about there. Uh, this week, of course, was the anniversary of D-Day. It uh, really affected me uh, this time around, uh, June sixth, and uh, and you see what Americans. Uh, Sacrificed and gave in in that last iteration of German uh, greatness, and and I and I hope our listeners understand. It's not that make Germany great again is bad, and make America great again is good because Americans are better than Germans or or anything like that. There is so much more going on here, uh, and and you need to understand why uh, Germany. Uh, becoming great again, becoming powerful again uh, is a threat. and And to do that, you've got to understand something more than just you know the competition between nations or or uh, you know even what uh, as you said, recent historians understand about Germany and about America. Uh, so
4: and of course, uh, sorry that it wasn't just Americans on d-day either. <laughs>
2: uh, Omaha Beach well, was American. Um, but, We move forward to the Middle East region. So, Mihailo Zekic, you watch the Middle East for us. Give us the uh, rundown of the top stories uh, in that region.
1: Well, there's been a lot of, shall we say, interesting developments this week. On June 7th, Haaretz reported that there's talk of a new Iran nuclear deal being made between, of course, Iran and the United States, where Iran would... uh, curb back or at least pretend to curb back some of its nuclear program in exchange for sanctions relief somehow it involves South Korea and some money that they uh, uh, owe Iran the US is downplaying the rumors we'll have more to report on that if that turns out to be correct on June 8th uh, Israel conducted a raid in uh, Ramallah the capital of the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank to demolish the House of a terrorist. There were clashes. Thirty-five people injured. It's a little bit uh, unique. Normally, uh, Ramallah is not the the center of these kinds of things because it's the political center for the Palestinians. Thankfully, it didn't escalate into anything too much bigger. Um, That same day, Saudi Foreign Minister Faisal bin Farhan had a conference with U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, and uh, he said there that uh, quote normalization with Israel is in the interest of the region that it would bring significant benefits to all end quote now Saudi Arabia has said before that uh, they're open to normalizing with Israel but uh, a Palestinian straits a precondition for that they still said that this time but their language suggests that they're a lot more looking forward to it shall we say than meets the eye which suggests that it might be closer than some may expect Well, what you heard just there was an Iranian suicide drone being used in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, um, attacking civilian populations used by the Russians uh, against Ukraine. Now, last year, Russia importing all these uh, weapons, including and especially these suicide drones, made a big deal. But what if I told you there is a decent chance that that drone, or at least components of it, were developed in the United Kingdom. Um, for our main story today, on June 8th, the Jewish Chronicle, which is a uh, magazine based on British Jewish interests, uh, reported the conclusions of an investigation that suggests at least 11 British universities are or have been involved in collaborative part, uh, part projects with Iranian partners that have potential military applications. Um, the united kingdom currently has a ban on selling military or dual use technology to iran and also has um sanctions measures in place for dealing with uh organizations that help iran's military program including some of these universities but somehow these partnerships managed to slide under the radar these include such prestigious names as uh, the university of cambridge imperial college london university of glasgow some of the examples that the uh the jewish chronicle report brought out include a collaboration between imperial college and two iranian universities on tw- in 2019 they published research on upgrading uh particular engines that are used to power drones including the heza Shahid 136 or the so-called kamikaze drones that you just heard in the uh, in the clip there that are becoming infamously used by the russians this research has According to the Jewish Chronicle, the quote-unquote support of Iran's Ministry of Science, Research, and Technology, who is connected to specific – aside from the fact that it's the Iranian government, there's people specifically involved with that ministry that are among those military sanctions uh, that we're concerned about. Um, That's just one example. Um, The report also found over 200 papers – um, ...written by Shaheed Beheshti University in collaboration with British academics over the years. Uh, one of them happened to be on counter-espionage technology as an example. This particular university has been sanctioned by the British government since 2011 for connections to Iran's nuclear program. So we're talking about some pretty serious stuff, some pretty serious collaboration going on for a long time... ...that is, uh, according to British law, very illegal and should have been picked up and for whatever reason it wasn't and because of that we're having again we don't know the exact details we don't know exactly what played into where but we're we could potentially see this iranian made drone being used in ukraine now having been developed in britain britain supporting ukraine right now inadvertently in a sense they're also supporting russia the reason i wanted to bring this story up is because of prophecy in hosea chapter 7 verses 8 to 9 talks about Ephraim, the modern ancestral peoples of uh, Britain, tribe of Israel, and it calls uh, uh, Britain uh, mixing itself among foreigners, that uh, foreigners are devouring his strength, taking advantage of his power, sapping it away, and he doesn't realize it. The next verse, uh, verse 10, shows that this is, uh, despite all these problems, uh, Israel, Ephraim, in this case, is not turning back to God to solve these problems. It's not repenting of its sins, and God's going to let curses like these keep coming on Britain and the rest of the nations of Israel until and multiply uh, an increase in in potency, shall we say, until they do that. Uh, if our listeners want to learn more about why God singles out Britain specifically with this, um. We go back to a a book often on the trumpet, The United States and Britain and Prophecy by Herbert W. Armstrong. It explains what's so special about Britain, what's so special about America, what's so special about the British Commonwealth, their history with God and what prophecy tells or says is going to happen with these countries in our day. And uh, while the obviously British society and American society is going down some pretty bad routes right now, it also explains the the hope-filled ending to these problems as well.
2: If you're a new listener and you have not read The United States and Britain in Prophecy by Herbert W. Armstrong, that is maybe the single best thing you can do. If uh, a regular or just a passing exposure to Trumpet Hour has just one effect on you as you go about your day or as you drive down the road, whatever it may be, uh, it it would be my personal hope that that effect would be ordering The United States and Britain in Prophecy. Uh, I read it first as a kid, a youth. And then I remember reading it again a little later. I was still pretty young. Uh, and I remember realizing, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, that book will change how you look at history, uh, how you look at current events, as as you mentioned there, Mihailo, uh, and how you look at the Bible. Uh, I think people look at the Bible, often look at the Bible as this kind of abstract religious text, uh, even Christians. Uh, but it's, it's so uh, much more than that. So, uh, as you kind of indicated there, it, it 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 will show you what made America great and and the other nations uh, allies of America, and it was not the greatness of Americans. Uh, it has so much so much more going on there. So do do request uh, your free copy. Always has been completely free. I think there's been seven or eight or nine million people order it for free. The United States and Britain in Prophecy by Herbert W. Armstrong. Coming up on Trumpet Hour, China is building a base in Cuba. Stay with us. Welcome back to Trumpet Hour Week in Review. I'm Philip Nice, and I'm here with Andrew Miller and Jeremiah Jacques at the Trumpet Studio in Edmond, Oklahoma. And we are joined by Richard Palmer and Mihailo Zekic at our other Trumpet Studio in Edstone, England. Our panel discussion today is about something else that's competing for headlines, something else that is a warning uh, to us, especially to Americans. To introduce it, here's a journalist named Andrea Mitchell speaking with Department of Defense spokesman John Kirby.
3: China and Cuba have now reached a secret agreement, we are told, for China to establish an electronic facility on the island, which would allow Chinese intelligence services to scoop up electronic communications throughout the southeastern U.S. What is your reaction to this?
0: Uh, look, I've seen that press report. Um, it, it's not accurate. Uh, what I can tell you is that uh, we, we have been concerned since day one of this administration about uh, China's influence activities uh, around the world, uh, certainly in this hemisphere and in this region. Uh, we're watching this very, very closely, uh, and we will and we have and will continue uh, to take steps uh, to mitigate any potential threat that those activities might pose so that we can make sure, and we are, we're positive, that we can continue to defend this nation. You're, you're saying it's not accurate that they're planning this? I'm, seeing, I, I, I'm saying we've seen the report. Uh, uh, it's not accurate.
2: So as you hear there, the best response from the Biden regime right now is to vaguely deny that at least one part of one unidentified report about this base is, quote, inaccurate. Uh, but if you're not listening to the Biden regime, and even if you're just listening to the most liberal mainstream network out there, MSNBC, uh, the agreement for this base... For China to build a base in Cuba in the Gulf of Mexico appears to be very real indeed, Jeremiah Jacques.
0: Yeah, so this is based on a new report in the Wall Street Journal from just yesterday showing that uh, China is preparing to build a new spy station on Cuba only about 100 miles from the U.S. coast in Florida. And uh, China is apparently paying the Cubans several billion dollars for permission to build this elaborate base, and once it's online, it will enable Chinese intelligence operatives to listen in on electronic communications throughout the southeastern U.S. So this uh, Wall Street Journal's report, it's based on testimony from U.S. officials familiar with highly classified intelligence. And the official said this base will enable China to conduct signals intelligence, or SIGINT, as it's known in the espionage world. And that means being able to monitor just a whole range of communications, including emails, phone calls, and even satellite transmissions. And I'll just read one section of this report here. It says... Washington regards Beijing as its most significant economic and military rival. A Chinese base with advanced military and intelligence capabilities in the U.S.'s backyard could be an unprecedented new threat. End quote. So this is, uh, you know, just a brash geopolitical challenge from China. And of course, this comes just months after China floated a spy balloon over thousands of miles of the U.S. mainland. It comes as China keeps sending more and more of its people into America to spy and steal secrets. It also comes as China's armies of hackers keep on infiltrating American targets and even uh, compromising critical infrastructure as we spoke about 2 weeks ago on Trumpet Hour and it comes as Chinese police stations are operating in American cities so this is a it's a clear pattern by the Chinese a dogged and disturbing determination to spy on America and learn its secrets especially military secrets and to just be able to assert the Chinese communist party's will on America and then another major aspect of this is just a deepening physical presence that the Chinese are establishing right on America's doorstep. You know, the Chinese are digging in in Cuba, but it's not just there. They're also deepening ties with Venezuela, Nicaragua, Honduras, and other countries in the region. And this strengthening Chinese presence is something that should really be sounding alarm bells in Washington instead of being dismissed by by those who hear about them.
3: Yeah, all the way uh, back in America's founding, uh, our, our founders realized pretty quickly that our main threat was not going to be from um other nations based in the western hemisphere it was going to be from eastern hemisphere powers powers in europe powers in asia powers like china and so they established a monroe doctrine to keep what they call the monroe doctrine under president james monroe the fourth president um to make a foreign policy objective to keep eastern hemisphere powers out of the western hemisphere Uh, Barack Obama officially did away with that when he was president and then since then you've definitely had more powers like China uh, digging into the Caribbean and Latin America which is um, a big threat it's actually really kind of hard to overestimate Cuba's geopolitical importance to the United States there's really three ways a foreign power could use Cuba against uh, America and all three are very dangerous uh, one is because 50 percent of um, U.S. seaborne trade goes to the Gulf Coast, not the East Coast, not the West Coast, but the Gulf Coast. Uh, and there's like two mile straits on each side of Cuba, <laughs> one to Florida, one to the Yucatan Peninsula. It's like any power that has like a naval base in Cuba could potentially besiege the United States. Uh, It's also true, like what we saw during the Cuban Missile Crisis, is that Cuba is so close to the United States that if you were to launch a nuclear missile from Cuba, um, it could hit the United States without actually getting a high enough altitude in the trajectory. To trigger a lot of our anti-nuclear Star Wars system ballistic missiles, so you have a nuclear threat there, and like Jeremiah was saying, is that you also have like the espionage threat. It's uh, not only is uh, like Google and some of these other Silicon Valley companies, uh, AT and T, uh, tied Cuba into some of America's networks that like you can <laughs> you can get access to the American internet networks. Uh, it's also close enough to the United States that, like I said, with these SIGINT systems, which is what China's doing. They want like a SIG like a uh, – I think that's the right acronym, but the – SIGINT. SIGINT. SIGINT yeah. system. Um, that it's uh, very ideally located for spying. During the Cold War, the Russians had a SIGINT system there and attempted to put nuclear weapons there. So they were trying to hit two of those three threats. Um and then back before that, like in like Spanish American War times, you had the uh, the naval threat there as well, and so it's probably of <laughs> probably of all the nations uh, on America's southern border, Cuba is one of the most important for the nation to make sure that it actually has some measure of control over, just from a, a standpoint of national survival.
4: And of course, uh, China's not the only country to worry about in terms of moving into into the backyard. Europe is underrated. Nobody's really paying attention to to Europe right now, but they're looking very hard to uh, move into Latin America. More we had some big news on this just this week where um uh, the EU is trying to finalize an EU Mercosur agreement. Uh, when they have a latin america caribbean summit in the middle of july they've been working on it they've been trying to do this deal i think since the the 90s maybe even before uh it's a big deal for the eu to get this together and it would be a major upgrade in their relationship to latin america uh, and a whole host of governments there uh, and we could finally see this happening uh this summer and Maybe it has taken the ending of the Monroe Doctrine before Europe can even even make this deal.
1: Uh, If we're going to talk about potential enemies and list them off from the Middle East perspective, the big elephant in the room is Iran. Now, I'm not saying that Iran's uh, the mastermind behind this uh, new spy uh, base or anything like that. But you look at what Iran's been doing lately, especially in Latin America. You think it's all the way in the Persian Gulf. It um, can't really impact that region. It's been doing a lot. We've talked on this program before about it sending warships through the Panama Canal. Venezuela, another anti American country, they're hugely involved with Iran, even to the point where Iran's been using Venezuelan soil to train terrorists i mean when you get that never mind the fact that cuba is just so close geographically to the states as refugees that come from there all the time we haven't like maybe since the cuban missile crisis some of these other events we haven't really heard too much about cuba specifically trying to stick it to america or oppose american interests we have to remember cuba and america are fundamentally at odds with each other government wise um cuba might not be as rabid anti-american as it used to be, but it still doesn't like America. And the fact that it's letting China have this base shows that it still is fine with hitting America and poking at it when it can. Iran, meanwhile, is always looking for unconventional ways to do that. And if they can do it in Venezuela, who's to say they can't open up something in Cuba, too?
0: Yeah. So that's a great point. This is not just China that's, uh, that's, you know, establishing and, and deepening a presence in, in Cuba, Venezuela and other nations that are right there on America's doorstep. It's also Europe, as Mr. Palmer just mentioned there. Iran as well is in the mix. And then, uh, Russia is also maintaining and trying to strengthen ties with a lot of these same countries. And all of this is, very significant in light of prophecies recorded in Isaiah 23 and Ezekiel 27. These talk about a mart of nations or an economic alliance that will form between China and Russia and European nations and some other countries as well. And when you put those passages in Isaiah and Ezekiel alongside Deuteronomy 2852, then you see that this economic alliance will come together to do something that Andrew just discussed a minute ago, and that is besiege the U.S block it out of world trade. That passage in Deuteronomy 28 shows that America will be besieged in its gates. And we have an article up on thetrumpet.com, it's called Preparing to Storm America's Castle, that puts all these different passages together and it shows just how serious the threat that America is facing is. That article focuses especially on Caribbean nations such as Cuba and it shows how this assault on the U.S. will happen in large part from there. One part of it says, The Caribbean Sea is vital to U.S. security. This sea not only connects the East Coast with the Pacific via the Panama Canal, it also guards the mouth of the Gulf of Mexico. Half of America's seaborne trade passes through the Gulf, so a foreign power that controls the Caribbean could cripple the U.S. economy by restricting its access to oceanic shipping." So, you know, when we see China spending billions of dollars to build this new base on Cuba, and just working to deepen ties with Cuba, and as we see the the Mercosur agreement working toward, uh, you know, being being signed there, we should understand that all of that is creating the conditions for that prophesied siege against America by China, Russia, and Europe to take place. Uh, this these are different times we're living in. Uh, that
2: James Monroe was the fifth president of the United States. He articulated this doctrine uh, 200 years ago in December. So the Monroe Doctrine of keeping other powers out of the Western Hemisphere has lasted for almost 40 presidents. And guess which president it ended with? It made it through the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, it made it through the era of nuclear missiles, which are hypersonic, as we mentioned last week, I think it was. So that means a missile, such a missile in Cuba would hit an American city in minutes. Uh, But it ended in 2013 when the Barack Obama State Department said, quote, the era of the Monroe Doctrine is over, end quote. So America, take warning. These are these are dangerous developments. And once once that breaks open, once the violence really begins, it's it's going to be uh, not just parts of Ukraine and so forth that are suffering, but Americans that are suffering and people worldwide that are suffering as we talked about the times of the Gentiles rising. So again, uh, that, uh, article preparing to storm America's castle is a good article to check out. And again, just the United States and Britain prophecy. If you have not, uh, read that book, uh, get the United States and Britain prophecy from the trumpet.com. Uh, that's all the time we have for trumpet hour this week. We thank you for joining us. Do email us your thoughts on the program to letters at the trumpet.com. Uh, That is your week in review for today's Trumpet Hour, and thanks for joining us.